the witness of the Spirit of God. I'm so thankful. Um, I just need to tell you that um, you've all kind of been part of, at least if you've been here in the last six months or year or so, of our Operation Christmas Child. And if you were uh, a recent season, just, just before Christmas, part of that great event, the packing party, so many of you came together for that one night. We put all those boxes together, and I think there were well over 700 boxes that left uh, this church and have gone now out to begin uh, the distribution process. And uh, Jenny Wilson has spearheaded that for the last several years, and with a great zeal and passion, she has carried that burden in her heart, and she's recruited Dorothy, who's become kind of her sidekick, and they've um, encouraged us all. And I want you to know that Jenny has been personally invited by Samaritan's Purse, by that great organization, to come to Rwanda in April and help pass out boxes. Isn't that great? So we are thrilled. And, um, and Jenny uh, came up to us uh, this past week and said, Pastor, you know, they, they want me to come. They've invited me to come. But I just don't know what I should tell them. I need to give them an answer by Friday. It's a lot of money. It's a huge commitment. I don't know what to tell them. I said, well, you need to tell them yes. You need to tell them yes. You're going to Rwanda. And so I think you told him yes on Friday, didn't you, Jenny? So Jenny's going to Rwanda, and we're going to call on the Lord. We're just going to trust him for the three or $4,000 they're still putting together, the, the number that'll help send Jenny uh, there and back, because we do want her to come back to be a part of that great ministry. And I think almost $2,000 has already been committed to that number. Can you believe that already? So we're halfway there. If you'd like to be a part of that, Give it some thought. Give it some prayer. You don't have to pray much about this, right? This is Jenny Wilson. This is Operation Christmas Child and Rwanda. And I heard from Jenny's daughter-in-law this week, and she said, this has been on Jenny's bucket list to go somewhere and distribute boxes. So we don't want to think about a bucket list. What we want to think about is Jenny and Rwanda doing this. So if you'd like to be a part of that, you can see one of us on staff or talk to Jenny personally. And um, we cannot wait to see what God's going to do. So to God be the glory. Anyway, thank you for that little opportunity just to share that great news. I don't know, this was a little bit of a different week for me. And um, I found myself every time that I left the house, kind of just taking a pause and going, okay, am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? <laughs> really? And kind of make sure the door's locked, everything's set, step out, get ready to head off into the day, and whatever that looked like, it looked very different for you than it did for me, maybe it looked somewhat the same, but I, this question just kept coming over me every time I left the house, is this really what I should be doing? To the degree that I had a day planned, or a week planned, or kind of the next six months, just kind of thinking, is this what I need to be doing? Because there's so many good things to do, Right? So many really good things. They're, they're not bad. They're certainly not immoral. They're in a lot of ways virtuous. Just spending time with the family, making sure that, you know, the kids are having a good time. They're getting a good education. You know, they're, they're wearing the right stuff. We're maybe thinking through the summer so that we have a good family time together. Um, you know, decisions about just priorities. 
uh, energy, where I'm going to place time, affections, all of these things, just kind of every time I left the house, I don't know why, it just was on my mind, because there's so many options. Now, maybe that's you, too. I don't know, because I, 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 I don't know all of you, but I, I admire and respect most of you, and I'm sure I will once I get to know you. You're all thinking the same thing. At least you're trying to manage all of those potentials, those great options out there. Is this really what I should be doing? And some of you are going hard at it in all of these things, raising your kids and and, and helping them, you know, get on the right path and have as good an experience as possible. And you're building a business or you're taking care of people or you're thinking through the next few weeks or months of your year. And you're filling in the white spaces on your calendar. And if you're like me at any level, I hope you're not at most levels, but if you're like me at any level, you've got to be asking the question, okay, am I on target here? Because there's so many good things to be doing. So many virtuous things that we can invest in. That that all seem at least above the waterline in terms of being good. Students especially, you're you're working hard. you're, You're trying to give it a go and have good relationships and be in sports or be in music and you're, you're looking out across the, the, the next few years and you've got the, kind of the urging of your folks behind you. You've got all this input and you've got to wrestle with this question, am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Because it matters. It really matters. And it seems that it matters a whole lot more to God than maybe it often means to me or to you. Now thankfully, really thankfully, we're not left to ourselves to figure that out. Last week, we opened up a little kind of talk, a time together, thinking about this notion of heaven is for real. We we, we kind of use the platform of that, that great, that best-selling little book, Heaven is for Real. This, this remarkable story, this little boy who, who seemingly goes to heaven and comes back and has an opportunity to tell about it. We, we landed on the fact, based on the word of God, that yeah, heaven is for real. There is something much more beyond my experience that's out there, but that is also at stake. Every time I step out the door and head out into my whatever that might look like, that's reality. And so God has a lot to say about that. And Jesus specifically went there on another occasion, and it also had this theme of eternal things. It focused on the reality of heaven. So I want to look there this morning and see if we can't bring some perspective to that question. If you have a copy of the scriptures or you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to Luke chapter 16. This is not a sermon. This is kind of not an outline. This is a story. Jesus is telling a story, but it's in response to an attitude that keeps coming up from these religious people. The scriptures call them the Pharisees. They were self-righteous. They had somehow concocted their own version of life, the life of faith, that at every occasion did not square 
with the words and heart of Jesus. Now, before I go any further, I want to tip my hand and say this. If you don't hear anything else, hear this this morning. I am just about convinced that my assessment of my life, my priorities, my decisions, the way I invest my time, the way I raise my kids, the way I plan my future, the way I help them set up for their future, my thoughts, my attitudes, all those things, my assessment of all of those things is an unreliable guide. Not just for things on earth, but most certainly for things that impact eternity. My assessment, what I think about my life and the way I'm doing things and the way we have things ordered in our family or in our future is an unreliable guide as to what is true and what is best. Now you're going to see the reason why I've kind of landed there. And it comes from this story. Jesus is responding to an attitude from these religious leaders. Because you see, they were so convinced that their own assessment of life, and certainly their life in relationship to God and others, was the most reliable guide for their life. The Pharisees, it says in Luke chapter 16, verse 14, who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. What did they hear? They heard everything that basically came down to this one singular teaching. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't have two masters. You can't serve God and serve yourselves. You just can't do it. And basically all of Jesus' teaching, all of his stories, including the parables of, uh, of the lost coin and the lost son and the lost sheep, all of that kind of came down to that, that singular focus that, listen, unless you are in line with the heart of the Father on all of these things, your assessment of your life is off the mark. It's going to be off the mark. You are going to be out of line with God's will and God's best for you. In fact, the things that you love, the things that you you are most passionate about, that you give your life to, that you focus your heart on, whether it be your kids or their future or your future together or whatever it happens to be, those things that you love so much can actually be detestable to God because they are so outside of God's great, great desire for you. You can't serve both. So the Pharisees, they didn't like that. It made them uncomfortable, and it made them angry, and they were sneering. So he tells a story. He tells a couple stories, actually, but this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus, starting in verse 19 of Luke chapter 16. And keep in mind, we believe that heaven is for real. There was a rich man, verse 19, who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now this this is the description of a man in his earthly existence. He had every comfort possible to him. He was rich, relatively speaking. He had great looking clothes. He was dressed in purple and fine linen. 
So he looked good, and he lived in luxury every day. He probably had a huge house. We know that he did because he had a gate. This was his earthly experience. He was surrounded by comfort. He was surrounded by security. He was surrounded by material blessings. Can anyone here relate to that? Relatively speaking, there is not anyone in this place within the sound of my voice that is not rich, relatively speaking, compared to most other people around the world who have nothing. You all look very nice this morning. You don't need me to tell you that, but you do. And we're glad you worked at it a bit. That's a good thing. This is his existence. Every day, this was his world. This was his experience. And he was religious. At his gate, he had a gate. Oh, that's nice. He had a gate. Now, that, that, that's huge. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. And even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now this is another experience. Right outside this man's gate was a beggar. He, he laid there right in front of the, this guy's front door, and he had nothing. That's why he was begging. And he was diseased. His body was racked with sores, so he was deplorable to look at. He was detestable to, to kind of interact with. And he was laid at this man's door. And he was hungry. That's what the scripture says. He was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Guess what fell from the rich man's table? Crumbs and bread. Do you know they did not have napkins in this day? linen or paper. So what they would do is they would have fresh baked bread and it would be made for every meal and it would be sliced accordingly. And everyone who sat down at the table got several slices of this fresh baked bread and it was laid right next to where the eating utensils were. And those were the napkins. So you see, as you, as you ate uh, from the table, whether it would be the fruit or, or maybe the, it was the, the meat or the sauce or whatever it happened to be, as it would kind of kind of end up on the corners of your mouth as you ate, as it does, they would take a bit of this bread, this fresh-baked bread, and they would wipe their mouths with it. That was their napkin. But they didn't eat it. They discarded it under the table. The bread. And so after the meal, the servants would come along and gather all the discarded bread, soiled with the food and throw it out the back for the dogs. Wow, how about that? So here's a rich man living in total luxury and comfort, big house, he's got a gate. Having a meal, wiping his mouth, throwing the, the bread under the table, gets tossed out and here's this beggar outside his door, hungry, bleeding with sores, and all he would love to have is just one piece of that bread. It's got gravy on it. It's got, the, it's got the juice of the fruit. It's probably got some sweet, you know, honey, that stuff that was white. Oh, just a piece of that. If I could have that. That's real. That's his existence every day. And the, and the scripture says that 
He was right at his gate. So every day this man left his home. Make sure it's all safe. He stepped over this guy. Went out. Every day. And I'm thinking, am I, am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this what it's all about? Every time I gas up our cars and get our kids ready and the family, and every time we think through the next several weekends or the next month or next time, is this really what it's all about? <laughs> am I doing the right things? That's the question. This guy, every day, walked out of his house right through that gate and stepped over a beggar, just laying there. The time came, the scripture says, verse 22, when the beggar died. Now watch this. Here, here, back to our heaven theme. Watch what happens. This is real. This is Jesus telling the story. So, so this is truth. He, he's using the story as a vehicle for delivering it. But this is Jesus' perspective. The time came. The beggar died. Took his last breath. Right, right out there, I take it, at the, at the gate of this rich man's house is where he died. Watch what happens. Angels carried him to Abraham's side. See, from earth to heaven, he was transported by angels. Remember Jacob's story, Jacob's ladder? There was a ladder, there was a stairway, and the angels were going back and forth. So that's consistent with Scripture, consistent with the Genesis account. Here come angels. The beggar dies at the, at, at the gate of this, of this rich man's house, and angels come, scoop him up, and take him to Abraham's bosom, take him to, take him to heaven. How about that? All of a sudden, his circumstance is completely reversed. He's gone from abject poverty and, and suffering to unbelievable, indescribable comfort and gladness and provision. The rich man also died because everybody does. You know that, right? Everybody dies. But he was buried. Oh, so he gets a funeral. You see, look at verse 22. There's no mention of a funeral with a beggar. He dies, and he's immediately escorted into the presence of God at Abraham's side. There's no mention of a funeral. In fact, most likely because his body uh, lay, continued to lay there after his death in front of, of the rich man's gate, it was discarded. It was probably just taken to the dump. There was no funeral. There was no procession. There was no embalming. There was no kind of visitation. There was no obituary. Um, no meal that was provided. There was, there was no circumstance that surrounded his death. You see the difference? Isn't it interesting in the human experience how much care we take with the human body after it dies. But how little care given to the soul before it does. It's an interesting little notion in this story. The beggar dies and he's escorted into heaven by angels. This man dies and he gets a funeral. 
Ironically, his circumstances are completely reversed as well. In Hades, where he was in torment, that is to say he's now down in this place of eternal torment, he looked up and saw Abraham. Remember Stephen? He looked up. Heavens were open. So this is consistent. Heaven is up. Hades is down. This place of hell, this place of torment, it's down. He looks up and he sees Abraham far away and he sees Lazarus by his side. Here's this man, this beggar that had been laid at his gate every single day that he stepped over. And now suddenly in, e- in, in this eternal place, he's able to look up and he sees him in the presence of God. Abraham's bosom. So he called to him, Father Abraham. This is how religious he is. You can see where his faith was. His faith was in his Judaism. Father Abraham, he aligns himself with Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Can you imagine? This is a complete reversal of fortune. But Abraham replied, now listen, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. All those things were good. Had a big house, you were comfortable, lots of space, security, good education, bright future, good health. Nothing wrong with those things. They were good. You got it all. He acknowledges the fact that those things that he pursued, those were good things. Just not good enough. I just wonder, am I doing the right thing? Am I really focused on what I need to be focusing on? Am I certain that the things I'm doing, that the way I'm living my life, that the way I'm ordering my priorities, that the way I'm raising my children, that the the patterns that I'm setting before them in their life, am I certain, am I certain They are pleasing and honorable to Almighty God. Do they meet His standard? Because they're all good. Everything you're doing is good. These are all good things. That's what Abraham says. Listen, remember, everything good you got in your lifetime, is that what you're pursuing? Do you want to pursue all this good for your family and for your children just in this lifetime? Go for it. Go for it. It's good. Lazarus, he received bad things. I mean, he he had nothing. He was destitute. He didn't have a place to live. He didn't have a place to sleep. He He slept outside your door. He was at your gate, and he was sick. He didn't even have food. But now, he's got everything. He is comforted here, and you are in agony. And... Besides all this, 
between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place. Now listen to this. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Abraham, Jesus is saying through Abraham to this person who is desiring comfort and mercy and pity, that's impossible now because there is a chasm that is fixed between heaven and hell that is fixed for eternity. You cannot go from heaven to hell and bring relief to someone there. Nor can you go from hell to heaven. Once you're there, it's fixed. So no, I'm sorry, Lazarus cannot come down to you there. So he answered, he, he ventured another. He, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. You can really see, even in this state, where the priorities of this man's heart is. Go to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Okay, if, if, if he can't come to me, then can you send him back to earth? Because I have five brothers who need to know what I now know and what Lazarus knows. Can you send them back to earth to warn them? Well, that makes sense too, doesn't it? If only someone could come back from heaven to earth and warn those who are living their life as if God doesn't exist and just kind of living for all of those good things and setting patterns into the heart of their family and down into the next generation that it really doesn't matter how you live. You know, as long as you do good things and do good virtuous things, all of those things. Listen, could someone just come back down to earth? Look at the response. This is remarkable and it's startling to me. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. What? Abraham says, no, he can't come back to earth either. They have the word of God. They have the word of God. And so do you. And so do I. Listen. Someone doesn't need to go to heaven and come back to earth to convince you that heaven is for real. We have the word of God. We've got Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. That's Moses. We have the prophets. Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Jonah, Nahum, Joel, Obadiah, Hosea, Micah. We've got the apostles. We've got Jesus. You go to hell, you can't come back. You can't come back. 
gets fixed. The only reliable assessment of your life and my life, our values, our priorities, our plans, the things we are setting in motion in the lives of our children, our attitudes, our pursuits, all of those things, the only reliable guide is the Word of God. My assessment is unreliable. Clearly, this man thought he had it made until eternity, and then it was too late. And But then we realized how unreliable his perspective was. And he begs Abraham to send a messenger, and Abraham says, no, you have a guide, you have a standard, you have revealed truth. It's the word of God. It's Moses. It's, pro- it's the prophets. It's the word of God. I don't know about you, but is it not worth reflecting at some point in our life? Am I really doing what God wants me to be doing? Is this really what I need to be investing in and giving my life to and teaching my children? Are these really the patterns that I want to instill within them? Or is it worth, is it worth bringing all of that under the authority and the influence and the lens of the word of God? Because if we don't, listen, we could get it very wrong on earth But the most concerning thing is that our eternal destiny may actually be in peril. Well, he persists. No, Father Abraham, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, there's no way in the world they're going to be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. (laughs) If you're not living your life, if I'm not living my life, in total obedience and response and humble surrender to Moses and the prophets and the apostles and Jesus to the living word of God. We are in desperate straits. Moses. Let's just sample this. This is kind of fun. I won't take long. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is Moses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Now, if this rich guy, in all his self-righteousness, would have just opened to Deuteronomy 6 and read that and believed it and embraced it, he wouldn't have stepped over that beggar every day he left his gate. Because he would have known God. He would have been a representative of God. The love of God would have flowed through his life. Those, everything would have changed. That's Moses. The prophets say the same thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, body, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Here is <laughs> where we need to land. I think this morning, at least where I am this morning. I want to know, and I think you want to know too, if what we're doing is what God really wants us to be doing. And the only way to know is to come to the Word of God. You say, Pastor, I don't have a clue what that means. Well, we'll we need to find that out. If you need help with that, we will tell you. Listen. Start with Moses. Just open the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Joshua. Just start there. Just start with, open the word of God. If you're a young man, if you're about to get married, if you're in a young marriage, if you're in a seasoned marriage, if you're in a family, if you're a single mom, if you're a teenager, if you're 80 years old and you're kind of rounding out your life, is it not worth reflecting? Is it not worth opening the word of God and not taking a chance not only with this life but with your eternal destiny because the rest is guesswork it's all good if you just want to live a good life and have your kids live a good life and be all that they can be and have their dreams come through and, you know, come to church and listen to Christian radio, whatever. You know, that's fine, go for it. But listen, what about the word of God? What about the authority of the word of God in your life? Isn't that worth reflecting on? I think it is. Because heaven is for real. Eternity is for real. And there is a great chasm between the two that are fixed. And there is no coming back. There's no coming back. Let me give you a vision. 
not a spooky one, so don't worry. What would it be like every family, every dad, every husband, every couple, every single parent home, every young person, what would it be like if every believer in this body determined today, I'm not going to leave my gate tomorrow until I've brought my life and my mind and my thoughts all under the authority and influence of the word of God. What would that be like? What would it be like in our, if, in our schools if, if, every, if every teenager determined that they were going to live their lives, not based on what's popular or cool or the way everyone else dresses or acts, but based on what is revealed to them about what it looks like to live and follow after God in the word of God? What would that be like? What would it be like in our city? What would it be like in our businesses? Where would it, what would it be like if you just determined that you were not going to take that chance any longer? You were going to bring everything in your life under the authority and scrutiny and influence of the word of God. Just imagine. There's probably something at your gate that you're stepping over every day that you don't even know about. And you're not going to know until the Lord shows it to you. And here's the deal. Eternity's at stake for somebody until you do. Let's just bow our hearts and our heads before the Lord and ask him to just, whatever he needs to do in my life and in your life, to bring us back into a right understanding of what it looks like to be a Christian dad, a Christian mom, a Christian teenager, a Christian young person, a Christian family. What does that look like? Don't guess. What does it mean to know God? What does it mean to follow him and to trust him? And commit your life to living by the word of God. Father God, make this so by your spirit in my life, the lives of all these people, Lord. What would it be like we all lived our lives this way for your glory according to your law praise of your name we ask it in Jesus name amen